Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? <clears throat> the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the sun, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. Amen. Well, this is Psalm 2, and I think we've done this one before. I can't remember. I can't keep track of these. But uh, this doesn't fit within the uh, the realm of the Book of Common Prayer choices, uh, in part because we're, we're moving into this study on the Lord's Prayer this coming Sunday. And so to find one that, uh, a psalm that I think in some ways fits in with how we're beginning our look at the Lord's Prayer, specifically with the statement, Our Father who art in heaven, or Our Father in heaven. And how we talked about a couple of days ago, uh, the, the understanding of that, we need to look at that and go, we start out by saying our, so it's this communal thing, and then Father, this, this place of fatherhood of God over us, um, and our Father being in heaven. Well, this psalm is one of those that fits perfectly within the beginning there of the Lord's Prayer. It begins by, by asking this question. In some ways, you kind of need Psalm 1 to go along with it, uh, but, but we're just going to do Psalm 2 today. But, but why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Asking this question of why are the nations fighting against God? Why do the nations think themselves so powerful? Why do the kings, why do the politicians, why do even we think that, that, that we are all that in a bag of chips. Because then it says, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one, his chosen one, his Messiah. In some ways, you, you could also be saying his king, uh, uh, thinking of the actual king, like King David. Uh, but, but here the anointed one, his anointed one, in, in our understanding, and even in some ways the, the Jewish understanding before Christ, was that this was the Messiah, the one who was going to come and bring rescue. And, and their response to both the Lord, God, Yahweh, the Father, and to the Christ is let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. It's this really bad image, right, of God. This thinking that he's enslaved us, that he's imprisoned us, that, oh, if we could just get rid of God, life would be so much better. And yet I look around our world today in our large cities especially, but in the lives of many of our young people. Being put in a position where God means nothing anymore, where God is not even talked about, what we end up losing is the humility, the actual humiliation that comes from knowing that there is one greater than ourselves. 
that this one that that we will have to answer to as we confess he will come again to judge the living and the dead when when we lose that it leaves people up to do everything just like in judges that everyone does whatever is right in their own eyes and so someone decides well i'm going to steal $999 worth of stuff from a Walgreens because we have a law here that says, well, anything under $1,000, they're not going to prosecute. They can do whatever they want to then. And you can get a lot for less than $1,000. But this understanding of instead of saying, well, no, it's not your stuff. Theft is wrong. We're not going to do that. We don't want to talk about that because, because the law comes to us uh, to convict us of the fact that we have sinned, we've done wrong. But we see, we want to see that as, well, that's a prison. We should be allowed to do whatever we want to. But then we don't want to think about the consequences of doing whatever we want to. Well, here you have the kings of the earth, the nations raging against the Lord, thinking that they have been enslaved, that they are in chains, rather than God is coming to give us freedom. Freedom from ourselves, freedom from our neighbors, freedom from the sins that come upon us and, and the sins that we bring upon others. But I love the response of God here, right? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. God laughs at us. The Lord ridicules them and ridicules us in our thinking like that. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, saying... To the people, no, I have placed my person in charge, my Christ, my king. I've put him there. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I have placed the, the one who has been coronated upon the throne. And you don't get a choice in it. I've done it. Now we could go down this road of, well, God ordains whatever he ordains as far as government people and all that stuff. But here, I, I, I want us to think more about the father being the one installing the son as king. That you don't get another Jesus. You don't get, a, you get, don't get another choice in that. The Jesus you have is the Jesus that you get. The king that you have is the king that you get in him. He's a king who, who had to be coronated with a crown of thorns had to be dressed in purple. He didn't have his own purple robe to wear to his own coronation ceremony there when when the, the soldiers take him to crucify him and they dress him in purple and they put the crown of thorns on him and they hand him his throne, which was the cross. And then he gets installed on that holy mountain, not Zion, Calvary, to do what it is that needs to be done to free us from our, all our attempts to be God, which that's what's happening here. We have this, this symbolic happening of the nations crying out against God, us doing the same sin that we do all the time, every year, every day, over and over and over again. It's the one that got us in hot water in Genesis 3, this attempt that, oh, we can be God. We don't need an actual God. We'll do everything that's right in our own eyes. And then God declares the promise. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. Don't see this as a bad thing. Christ comes to us with his word. We saw it last week with, uh, uh, well, two weeks ago, with our revelation text. 
where he comes with, with the sword of his mouth, his word, and he comes to shatter all our idols, including ourselves, to bring us down, that we might have one over us, specifically this Christ, this anointed one, this son, who will rule the nations, but not in the way that we think he's going to rule the nations. He will rule the nations with equity through his word to cast down our idols and to lift us up by his power. So now kings be wise, receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Be wise, listen to the word of the Lord. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Basically worship, this idea of worship not being whatever songs we can hear that give us some joyous ecstasy, but to actually fall down on our faces before God because of who God is, because of who the Lord is, because of who Christ is. Pay homage to the Son, quite literally, prostrate yourself down on, on the ground before him. Then it says, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. That's definitely a warning, isn't it, for us? For his anger may ignite at any moment. The danger here is that we think that he's got anger management issues. That's not the case. The issue is one of, I wonder if the Lord just gets tired of us basically giving him the finger all the time. And that he desires for us to love him and to serve him. To take our refuge in him, because here it says, all who take refuge in him are happy or blessed, as some other translations say. That is where we come with our prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, we, we, we come and say, he is the one enthroned above us. We are below. He is above. He is greater. We are less. He is increasing. We must decrease and fall down before him. And we do the same for Christ, the Son, who has been exalted by the Father, placed at his right hand, that he might come to judge the living and the dead, and his judgments are good and true and pure. His decisions about us, his decisions based on the fact that his throne, that cross, has reconciled us to him and reconciled us to his Father, so that we might call upon our Father in every time of need, that he might grant to us his favor. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, with these words, we ask that you would entice us so that we come to believe that you are truly our Father and we are truly your children, in order that we may ask you boldly and with complete confidence, just as loving children ask their loving Father, knowing that you hear us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, church, go in peace. Serve the Lord. We will see you tomorrow.